0: Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod, Israel Policy Forum's podcast. I'm Eli Koaz.
1: And I'm Evan Gottesman. First off, I want to wish Eli a happy on-air birthday.
0: Thank you, Evan. Toda I I deeply appreciate it.
1: Now, into today's topic. Last week saw the violent culmination of the Great March of Return protest, On Monday, 62 Palestinians were killed by IDF live fire while the week saw repeated attempts to breach the Gaza Israel border fence. Earlier today, 10 Palestinians crossed from Gaza into Israel and set a number of fires before successfully returning to the Strip.
0: To help break down these events, we are happy to be joined by Colonel Pnina Shalvit Baruch. Pnina is a senior research associate at the Institute for National Security Studies in Tel Aviv. In the past, she has served as head of the IDF's International Law Department, legal advisor to Israeli delegations negotiating with the Palestinians, and she participated in the 2000 Israel-Syria talks. Since retiring from the IDF, she has taught classes at Tel Aviv University Law School and at the National Security College. Pnina, thank you for joining us. Hi. Um, so, Pnina... Are these demonstrations on the Gaza border, are they similar to anything Israel has handled in the past, uh, internally or in uh, the occupied territories?
2: Not really. They are They are quite unique. We had maybe one case say, on the Lebanese border that maybe resembles it a bit, but not so much uh, uh, internally or in the West Bank because this is a different uh, situation. It's not... Um, just uh, civilians demonstrating, uh, as we have, of course, uh, inside Israel, uh, because we have a lot of uh, demonstrations. It's part of our (laughs) democracy. And uh, also in the West Bank, there have been demonstrations throughout the years, some of them also violent. But uh, these are still uh, in areas that are under our control, uh, uh, where the IDF operates and has control. And they have been, again, civilian in essence, with Perhaps some violence in them uh, or violent elements uh, also operating within them, but they were all uh, dealt with under the, the rationale of law enforcement. Um, here we have something different. We have a border um, which is a, a, not with another state because Gaza is not a state, but for any other purpose except the formally. a, a status of uh, Gaza. It is uh, a, like a foreign state and a hostile state. Uh, it is controlled by the Hamas, uh, which is a hostile government. And uh, there is an ongoing armed conflict between the Hamas and Israel, include, which includes rockets being fired and tunnels uh, uh, dig uh, under the, the border and the uh, incursions that uh, cost lives on both sides, uh, high level intensity conflict. So this is an active border and, and a border with an active uh, enemy uh, where there are uh, all the time uh, active hostilities uh, and therefore uh, Israel views the situation, this is also what it explained to the High Court of Justice. There's a petition on the issue as um, regulated by the laws of armed conflict. Um, So this is really resembles a situation where you have two countries that are at war between them and this is the border between them and part of the hostilities is also, uh, it it also combines civilian elements that are uh, operating and amidst them you have armed elements that are uh, uh, operating also. So it's it's a very complex situation uh, because of this mixture.
1: So you've laid out a lot of ways that this is distinct from protests that might happen in the West Bank because there's a direct Israeli presence there. Um, are the IDF rules of engagement um, in the West Bank uh, different from the uh, rules governing their conduct along the Gaza border? Uh, how does the IDF's response differ to these differing types of events um, the two territories?
2: So, as I said already, the West Bank. The, the rationale is that of uh, law enforcement. It is an area that is uh, especially the, where we have civilian demonstrations. It's sometimes along the fence and in areas that are under uh, the control of the IDF and Israel. And uh, the paradigm used there is law enforcement, uh, which means that uh, little force uh, is only uh, can only be used in cases where you have. Uh, uh, danger, an immediate danger to life of the soldier or someone else. Um, while here uh, the rationale, and this is again according to what the Israeli uh, the government explained to the court, I'm not inside the government anymore, but is uh, that of an armed conflict situation. Um, and here you have civilians that are involved in demonstrations in an armed conflict situation, which doesn't mean that they all become targetable, of course. Um, but you have the combination, first of all, of elements that are armed and are using the, these demonstrations as a way to attack soldiers and uh, to uh, harm the fence in uh, attempts to enter and to carry out uh, hostile uh, actions inside Israel. So these kinds of elements are viewed as part of uh, of the combatants of the other side, or as civilians engaged in hostilities, and they and they could be targeted for for, they, for those kinds of actions. And the civilians themselves um, uh, are treated with, as far as possible with non-lethal measures in order to disperse um, the demonstration. But in situations where their actions can create a danger of of something that will become hostilities like breaking the fence and entering into Israel in a way that is Uncontrolled, and will will create a threat to Israelis, and everything is very close. The Gaza Strip and the Israeli localities are just hundreds of meters apart. It's not uh, we don't we don't have big spaces here. Um, so in such situations, this kind of danger can uh, uh, lead to the use of uh, even lethal force under um, a kind of. A mixture of law enforcement and armed conflict rationales because the situation is really so unique.
0: So, so let's let's talk a bit about what happened last week. I think a lot of people were very, um, especially here in the United States, they were taken back by the high the high casualty count. Um, now I think there's an understanding that the protests here were were not peaceful by any means. Maybe there were some peaceful elements of it but um, there was a clear objective here. So in your assessment, how did the IDF handle the demonstrations last week?
2: So I think first of all, um, the results uh, are, uh, it's really a high number of civilians killed and any civilian killed is is something that is, in my view, tragic. And and by the way, in in general, the the, the situation of the people living in Gaza is a tragedy and it's, it's, it's a terrible situation. Um, And it's very difficult to see also how you solve the situation. The humanitarian situation there is terrible. The the problem is that it's solving this situation is not in the hands of Israel so much. Israel can do something to alleviate, can be maybe do even more than it does now. But uh, the key to the situation there is in the hands of the Hamas because all the funds and the supplies, whatever was brought into the Gaza Strip, and there were so many donations from all around the world, including from Israel, too, um, they didn't get... To the people there they went to a uh, military infrastructure and weapons and to the Hamas and their uh, and those that they are interested in uh, in their um, prosperity, but not to the people so so we have here people that are really suffering and it's, it's tragic when they lose and when they uh, 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 this, despite uh, and on top of all these the suffering are also losing their lives because they are being sent by the Hamas. Two-faced soldiers, but still, when you look at the at those killed, um, and this is according to the Hamas itself, the vast majority of them, I think 60 was the figure, were Hamas operatives. This is the Hamas saying these were our people, which means that this is not the IDF didn't just open fire at anyone there next to the border. Um, They were using snipers. The IDF not to shoot down people, uh, uh, just uh, anyone they see, but to try to identify those that are not really civilians, but are rather operatives that are either trying to carry out attacks or uh, using the civilians, uh, uh, sending them uh, to uh, towards the fence. So these operatives were involved either in hostilities or at least in actions that were threatening the lives of the, civil- of the soldiers and the situation, and I think this shows that the IDF was acting, was using um, restraint, and was acting in a way to try to uh, use only the force that is needed against those that are involved in such kinds of actions. So so I don't think that, even though the, it is a high toll of loss of life, I don't think that in itself shows that the IDF acted unlawfully, or in a way, in, or excessively. Um, and what I do know also is that the legal rules and the rules of engagement that went through are also legal advisors, and these are legal advisors that I know, I've worked with. These are serious people. They consult with experts from around the world. We really want to do things the right way, to act lawfully. It is in our interest. It is in our internal interest, not because of what they will tell about say about us in the world, because we want to be a law-abiding state. So the rules, I think were really crafted very carefully to be legal. If here and there there was a soldier that maybe used excessive force, this I cannot say, and this is what I hope will also be checked when the uh, investigations are carried out. Uh, But in general, I think the rules themselves and also the general uh, outcome shows actually that the soldiers acted in a strange way.
1: So you just mentioned um, the possibility of an investigation, um, but you know some things that we've been hearing out of the political echelon there seems to not be an appetite for um even an internal investigation um do you think where do you where do you think the opposition to some kind of inquiry or or probe into the conduct even even an internal review where do you think that opposition comes from
2: (sighs) Well, I I first of all believe it's very good. It's very important to carry out internal investigations, eh, also to find out if anyone did act in not in accordance with the rules, uh, disobeyed the rules, and also eh, for lessons learned to do things better next time, with less casualties as far as possible. Uh, So I think investigations are important. I think the uh, what we see or or the. I would say that the public atmosphere and also the political atmosphere against investigation comes from a feeling of soldiers. Um, they, they feel very sensitive and I speak a lot to soldiers and they tell me, you know, you send us to do these dangerous things. We are ready to go in to fight. We are ready to get killed. We are ready to get injured, but we are not ready to be treated like criminals. Um, and I think this is the sensation, the soldiers feel that once they are under an investigation, then they feel the need to lawyer up, and everything they will, be, they will say might be held against them, that puts them in a position where they feel that they are, I would almost say humiliated, because they feel that they are there to defend the country, and then the country is treating them as the suspects, um, suspected criminals, and every time I try to explain to them this is not the situation. The fact that there's an investigation doesn't mean that we think you did something wrong. Um, but I think this sentiment is very strong, and that's, and that's why we have these reactions.
0: Nina, back in April, a video from December circulated showing Israeli soldiers laughing and celebrating after shooting a Palestinian at a demonstration from across the Gaza border fence. This, in a way, kind of gave the impression that decis- decisions in the IDF are sometimes made in a sort of in a reckless nature. What's really going on here?
2: The rules of engagement themselves are, are approved at the highest levels, and there are, the, there are legal advisors involved in it, and the commanders, uh, uh, of course, now have to implement uh, these rules and see to it that the soldiers obey by the rules, and this is a uh, military, an organized military, and the rules uh, uh, and the orders are there to be obeyed. So I think also in that case, uh, uh, which is an unfortunate uh, uh, situation. Uh, I think the sniper himself who was shooting didn't necessarily do something wrong according to the rules. There, it's difficult to see exactly what happened there, but it could uh, very well, uh, and I think the person that was seen there was involved in, in an action uh, and uh, it could, and he also was shot in the foot, um, wasn't killed. So I'm not sure that uh, in itself that shows that something wrong was done. the, the The problem there was really the way the other soldier uh, behaved, what he was saying, the one that was uh, uh, talking uh, to the camera. Um, And here I think, yes, it's a a, a challenge. It's a challenge, first of all, all the time to remind the soldiers that on the other side you have human beings and we don't want to hurt them, um, to to, to take down the levels of uh, animosity towards the other side, towards the civilians of the other side, to make them understand uh, 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 that it is complicated. And, uh, yes, it's more an issue of education. I think it's something that is very important. I think that we won't get anywhere if we um, dehumanize the other side, um, even if they do that to us. Um, So I think there it's a question of uh, education and of ethics uh, uh, but uh, still, I don't think that it uh, means that the soldiers, when they have to do their duty, that that necessarily means that they will act uh, uh, against the orders or in an unprofessional way. Um, my daughter, by the way, is, uh, she, was just, she just finished her military service. She was a sniper instructor. And I told her, what does she think about it? And she said, that's outrageous. And all the sniper instructors were, were appalled uh, by uh, such an unprofessional uh, behavior.
1: So cycling back to the current situation on the Gaza border for a moment, um, one of the things that has attracted the most intense criticism from abroad and generated some of the sharpest conversation in Israel as itself is the use of live fire. Um, what specifically dictates when live fire is used as opposed to um non lethal methods like rubber bullets water cannons um tear, tear, gas. tear gas and and um how 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 do you determine so not, which method is used
2: uh, yes, so again, according to the response that the government uh, gave to the court, as I said, there are a few petitions uh, with regard to the rules of engagement in Gaza, and the government uh, presented its uh, position in two uh, papers, and it uh, it states there that uh, the use of uh, live ammunition will only be used when are, uh, when non-lethal measures are insufficient. Um, and the uh, force is necessary to elimin- eliminate the uh, expected threat uh, of death or serious injury. So, of course, if uh, whenever uh, there's an ability to use uh, less uh, non-lethal weapons, uh, such as smoke or water or rubber or, uh, bullets or whatever other non-lethal means you have at the disposal, so those will be used uh, and preferred. So the, the lethal force will only be used... Uh, as a last resort when nothing else uh, uh, works. By the way, just about rubber rubber bullets, just to know, all these other kinds of measures, they have um, they have limited capabilities. So you need certain, uh, uh, you can't use it for in certain situations. For example, it depends on the wind. If we're talking about gas and water and the distance, and rubber bullets, for example, you cannot use beyond a certain distance because then they became become very inaccurate and they won't reach your target. They will reach somewhere else. Um, so so there are all kinds of these kinds of limitations that also have to be taken into account. People don't always understand them. Uh, but in general, live, the use of live fire will be the only, the last uh, resort when nothing else can work.
1: So speaking about the, the different limitations of the different um, methods, the different non-lethal methods, um, there had been um, footage that had been released of tear gas being dropped uh well beyond the immediate conflict zone around the fence but around sort of the the tent cities where some of the demonstrators were congregating um Is there any effort to uh delineate between the um, actions being taken closer to the fence where you know people where where many of the demonstrators or rioters even are are, are employing weapons and, and um, lethal threats and the sort of tent cities that are deeper into the Gaza Strip and, and are sort of there set up to support the actions around the fence but may not be violent in and of themselves.
2: I don't know exactly what was done, but as far as I know, none of the live fire and no way a attacks or, or were carried out against those in the tents Further away.
1: Well, that, that was tear tear gas. Was yeah, it was
0: just tear gas dropped by a, by, by drones? I think.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I I, I, guess, the, I guess I guess again I don't know the details, but I, I would presume that that was an attempt to disperse those crowds because those crowds are the ones that were feeding the crowds nearer the fence, um, and again the whole idea was to get people away from the fence and stop the demonstration. Um, So I I don't see a problem in itself in uh, dropping tear gas in order to disperse also uh, demonstrators that are on the way or feeding a demonstration that is uh, potentially violent or causes a a threat. So I presume that was the reason. Again, I don't know exactly what what exactly happened and what was the reason, but I, I will presume that that would be the reason.
0: Okay, so we talked a bit. Before, about the difference between how the IDF handles protests in the West Bank, especially in areas that are controlled by Israel, like in area C and in Gaza, maybe we can turn for a second to rallies that happen within israel israel proper let 's say um, so there was a rally, there was a demonstration in Haifa this week that turned somewhat violent, and apparently one of the uh, the leaders of this demonstration had his leg broken in, in a police investigation. How does this, like, how does, how Israel respond to, like, the police? Is that completely different from what goes on in the West Bank in Area C? Or is there any overlap? Because these are Israeli citizens.
2: Yeah, this is law enforcement and this is law enforcement. It's different because here, of course, the, law, the Israeli law applies and the West Bank not. And also in the West Bank, it's usually the, the IDF that is dispersing the... Um, uh, disturbances or uh, uh, confrontations uh, and demonstrations, and inside Israel, it's the Israeli police. So uh, it is different, and I guess it also inside Israel, the force would be usually more limited uh, than outside Israel, uh, including the West Bank, because the threats usually are less uh, imminent. Um, uh, when you're when you're acting in areas, even though the West Bank is under our control, still there are armed elements there. There are areas that are outside, not outside, uh, Outside our physical control, like areas A and B, the main cities, so so the threat there that some that it will deteriorate to a life-threatening situation is much greater than when we are talking about uh, um, demonstration by uh, a Israelis, um, Jews, or Arabs inside Israel. So, so it's, it's a different level of threat, which means also a different level of force. The case there where the the leg was broken uh, or not, I don't know, uh, is of course something that shouldn't happen, especially since the claim is that it it happened after he was detained. Of course, that needs to be checked, examined, and uh, I hope uh, if uh, they find out that something like that happened, uh, it will be uh, treated. Uh, We don't want these kind of things happening uh, uh, within our uh, police forces or any other security force or in general in, uh, in the country. I think people have the right to demonstrate and I think it's, part, it's an important uh, freedom and uh, we want this, uh, we want people to demonstrate and to feel safe and uh, um, to believe and not to, to be afraid that if they demonstrate something will happen to them.
0: Yeah, it definitely strengthens uh, Israel's democracy to have, to have that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nina, thank you so much. You've helped us unpack a very complicated situation and you've answered... A lot of people's questions, I'm sure. So thank you very much
1: for taking the time. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can learn more about Israel Policy Forum's work online at www.israelpolicyforum.org and follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Telegram. Thanks for joining us.